1: Hi there, my name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's newest podcast, Marketing Vanguard. We're so excited to bring you the next evolution of CMO Moves by bringing you insightful content from our marketing community. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that, in incremental or monumental ways, move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked, the ripples it set forth, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. In addition, we'll ask each guest to share the names of people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for whom we should interview next. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Marketing Vanguard Podcast. I'm Jenny Rooney at Adweek, and I'm so excited to be joined today by Stephanie Fried. She's the CMO of Fandom. Stephanie, welcome. Welcome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you, as always. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing you for a while now and just kind of getting to know who you are as a leader and, um, and really all the extraordinary things you're doing at Fandom. So I'm excited to unpack all of that for our listeners today so that they can get to know you a little bit better as well. Awesome. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to it, too. So let's start by, I mean, for people who uh, don't know what Fandom is, let's just level set, explain what the company is, how long it's been um, in business, and and really what your role is there.
0: Yeah, of course. So Fandom is the world's largest fan platform. Um, at, At the core, we have our fan wikis. It was actually a spinoff from Wikipedia in 2004. Um, So Wikipedia was finding that within their format, there just wasn't enough room to really explore the imagined worlds in a much, much deeper way that people were looking for. And so they created Fandom as a spinoff that would really delve into the imagined worlds behind the real worlds that are covered on Wikipedia. And so that's why on Fandom, you will find a Star Wars community with... 300,000 pages of content, unlimited scroll. That's why when you search for Luke Skywalker on Google, it's the first search result for really any imagined world or character. So while on Wikipedia, you're going to find Steve Carell, on Phantom, you're going to find Michael Scott and everything about who he is in the office as if he's a real person. So it's a great place for fans to immerse themselves in the fandoms that they love, whether it's TV shows, movies, games, anime. We have large books and comics communities as well. And then outside of the core fan platform, we also have editorial brands, GameSpot, Metacritic, TV Guide among them. And then we also have a PC gaming business called Fanatical, Um, Which is a place where we sell direct to consumer gaming keys, which obviously also fits really nicely within our gaming wikis and this entire kind of ecosystem of a one stop shop for fans.
1: Unbelievable. So, and there's a lot, there's so much there. Um, You know, it's this concept of the imagined is real, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, the imaginary is real. And so that's that's really what you've built the business on. Um, that's no less real than anything else, frankly. I mean, it, talk about engagement and storytelling and content and um, characters and things that people just want to learn about and engage with. So um, super, super interesting. Your CMO there, um, talk a little bit about your remit, but also sort of what got you to this place.
0: Yeah. Um, so... I guess maybe first, what got me to the place. So I've spent my career in media. I was at NBC. I was at Vivo. I was at Discovery. I was at Condé Nast. So I've worked across really every type of media and every type of fandom. I'm a huge fan myself, um, and I've always loved you know working in this space. Um, so I was attracted to that and and how we could, you know, serve fans and help them love all of the fandoms that they love a little bit more through the great things that we could do. Um, I was also really interested, having worked on the, on the other side of where we were creating the content, to really use the data that we have around everything that people love to create better content mm-hmm. and better games for fans. Um, and that was something that we were always trying to unlock you know, on the media side of the business, um, to understand how to develop that next hit, right, and what, you know, a new fan might want to discover after they'd finished the show that they loved so much. And fandom really has the power to bring that to life for streamers, studios, for gaming developers, and that was something that really appealed to me about the platform. Um, I came over a little less than four years ago uh, and oversee B2C marketing, which is all of the audience development, whether it's social, SEO, our CRM efforts, as well as brand in all of our paid marketing as well, affiliate performance. Um, then I also have a B2B group, which oversees the relationships with our advertising partners, What is our brand messaging to them? How do we service their business right, and demonstrate what we can do for them? And then I have kind of what I think of as horizontal groups that service B2C and B2B, but also the rest of the organization. So I have the research and analytics team, which really formulates the understanding of what our fans want and how we serve those needs, um, as well as obviously forecasting our business growth and our opportunities across the business. Communications, which is how we storytell and how we tell our story externally, but also internally in terms of engaging our employees. We have an events and experiences business, which also brings things to life both for our advertisers, for our fans, as well as for our creators, the people who contribute to our communities. We have a large community event every year. And finally, my design team and our design team brings all of that to life and a beautiful visual identity that lives really across everything that we do.
1: Mm. You've said so many things there. Um, first of all, you, you know, you refer to, to, your, to your consumer, for lack of a better word, as fans, and you're consistent with that. And really just, you know, I love hearing the lexicon that marketers use, you know, Target refers to its customers as guests and, um, you know, the consistency of that. Because I just think having that consistency and having that laser focus on who you're engaging with, but who you're creating things for is just, it's, it's evident in how you talk about it. I love how you talked about data and connecting dots because what is fascinating to me and what my question was going to be around is you know all brands are trying to figure out how to engage with customers how do we how to create engagement you know what I mean that stickiness that loyalty that coming back for more thing but you've got arguably people who um, they already have investment. Um, and you characterized it as, you know, we want to talk, you know, we want to reach people and um, identify what they love and help them love a little more. Right. Like kind of go beyond. So it's you have an engagement. It's almost like your game to lose, if you will. And I hate to use it that way, but it's like you they already have investment and engagement with these platforms, these stories, this content. So your goal is just to enrich that and sort of expand that. Is that a fair way of expressing it? But that's a unique um challenge to have is it, it really is it really is because and I always
0: try to kind of explain it or find kind of a complementary business and I actually have a hard time doing that of you know saying we're like the x of y um because it is so unique in that we also you know we have 350 million visitors every month mm. and that's because the entertainment and gaming you know universes are so large Right. And we uniquely service that need kind of as like a co-pilot is how I think of it. We've played around with, you know, co-pilot and using that because, you know, I always say when we talk to streaming partners, you know, we're a huge promotional vehicle for them without them spending a dollar, by the way. Because if you're watching The Witcher and you get completely lost in the storyline, which happens, um, you might just you know, abandon, right? But if you can look it up, you can figure out what's going on. You can say, oh, now I get it. That makes sense. You're going to enjoy that program more. You're going to watch that program more and you're going to stay engaged and involved. And that's why with a lot of our partnerships too, They give us a lot of that content in advance so that we can make sure that the wikis are what we call seated before the show launches, because if someone starts watching it, doesn't understand, and someone hasn't had a chance to watch it and document everything, um, then we're kind of behind. Um, And so we kind of fuel that love, that passion, and can also turn people on to obviously other IP, which is the advantage but i think a lot of our traffic currently you know comes from search as people are you know watching something and saying like you know what's the recipe for xyz in minecraft they're going to end up on fandom our challenge is how do we keep them there and how do we keep them coming back more directly what are all of the things and places where there are white spaces or gaps or holes that we can fill We obviously have a lot of great content. We have reviews, we have ratings, helping in that decision-making process of what to watch next. And what we're also trying to do is play within that space of like how people kind of come back to the next season. So whether it's calendar updates, reminders, places to save your favorite Ted Lasso quotes, um, what are the other things that we can do for fans? Um, because none of that really lives in one place. People use tons of different tools across different platforms to have conversations or to get reminders or to have their you know, watch lists. How can we bring all of those things together? So that's really what we've been working on is how we create kind of a more engaging, sticky, as you said, loyal um, fan platform.
1: I love hearing that. And I think it's great for our listeners to get that just level set of the world you're living in, right? The space you're living in. And frankly, the, the, the environment in which you're, leading marketing strategy. And so now I'd love, you know, all of that being said, and that being great context for us, I want to talk now about you and and really how you are leading the marketing organization and just what defines you as a marketing leader. Um, You know, with the Marketing Vanguard podcast, we like to get into, um, you know, talking with marketing leaders, CMOs as decision makers within their organizations that ultimately Um, are critical business growth drivers. And I think that there's something there in everyone I talk to, you know, people approach that slightly differently, which I think is what we want to sort of, you know, get into here. And um, I'll start by asking you the question that you referenced a minute ago, you're like, I'm a fan myself. But, you know, tell me something about you that people wouldn't readily know by looking at any of your social platforms.
0: Yeah, so I I think, I don't know if it's People wouldn't readily know. Um, I think maybe people in the business world wouldn't readily know, but once you get to know me, there are certain things about me that you get to know really quickly. Number one, my team would laugh about this. I'm from Michigan, very proud of it. It comes <laughs> up usually in the first 10 sentences of any discussion. My team's always like, What, Stephanie? You're from Michigan? I had no idea. And when I meet someone from Michigan, it's like instant love and connection even yeah. like chicago, right? I feel like a closeness with midwesterners.
1: Yeah. So, having yeah. having spent 10 years in the, in the Midwest, I I know that passion and I know that 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 pride that comes from being from that part of the country for sure. Yes, and go blue. I'll just put that in there as well. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> I,
0: I also I love games. I'm a huge game player. Um it's like if I need to relax or if I'm getting frustrated about something, I will like go to my phone and play games. So I play Wordle every day in a competition with my family. Um I am dying to get into Matt Damon's Wordle group though. So if anyone (laughs) listening can connect me with him, I would love to get into that. Um but I play also Wordle, geography game, waffle, spelling bee, framed, which is a movie um game. Um, and I play them pretty much every day. Um, and if I, if it's approaching midnight and I haven't played them, I get kind of anxious
1: about it. So I have, I like what was your, what did you study growing up? What was your, um, your focus in, in, uh, school? I was a history major. Okay. There you go. There
0: you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm really interested. I mean, I think my history major, I'm really interested in like why people operate the way that they operate. I'm like really interested in like how people think and, and how they work and act and i think i've always been interested in like civilizations and how they've developed and um how then one you know conquers another and why that happens and then how that develops so I was really interested in history and I'm still and whenever I talk to someone who's like asking for advice I'm a really big believer in your undergrad being about like what you're passionate about not like you're functional not going to undergraduate business school but like it's an opportunity to explore something that you're passionate about that might not be your career and yeah. I think no matter what it is there's applications that can apply to your career and do apply to your career Um, but yeah, I was a history major, but games has just always been something in my family. We've always played cards. We play contract gin constantly and I'm super competitive. I think that's another thing that my team would tell you and probably most people. I love to win. Um, I love for my team to win. I love to win. I love to get a good deal on something or a great parking spot in New York city. I will like celebrate it for days. So I just like love winning.
1: What's one of the things that you've learned in your in the course of your career that um, has shaped how you lead?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things, and I refer to this a lot, actually, when I was at NBCU, I was I senior manager or director, maybe director. I was working in the digital group, and I... It was it was a really great place to be. Honestly, I ended up there by accident, but it was great because it was at the time when like connected TVs were like point zero zero one percent penetration. We were like, is this ever going to be a thing? Um, TiVo was going. YouTube, you know, was a thing, and I remember people would say like. What is it, YouTube? <laughs> okay. Um, but it was, you know, also the beginning. I was there when we first started streaming full episodes. We had NBC Rewind, where we had six shows up. And it was like a constant discussion of, was it cannibalizing television? What could we learn from it? And how is it different? How would we monetize it? It was super interesting. And the president of digital at NBCU it was a woman named uh, Vivi Ziegler. She's retired now. Um, But she was just, like, incredible. She still is incredible, even retired. And she would call me. She was a president. I mean, this was at NBCU, you know, thousands of people. And I'm, like, this, like, lowly director. And she'd call me. She'd be like, Steph, here's what I need to know. And she wouldn't just, like, write me a question or ask me a question. She would give me, like, the full background. And she would tell me, like, the business problem. Not like the question that she thought was the question, but the business problem that she was trying to solve. Wow. And we would have a discussion, and I would think about things. I'd be like, but actually, you know, and she would always call me. And and I started thinking about that and thinking about the difference from when I would, like, get a question. I would answer that question. Then I would get, like, five more questions, and I would answer those. And at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, I realized I wasn't actually answering the business problem. Right, but with Vivi, she knew to give me that context that was gonna allow me to give her a better answer that was allowing me to give her real insight, right, into the business problem. So I always remember that in my leadership style, and whenever I'm talking to my team, whoever it is, I always give the context, I never feed the what I think is the question. I I tell them the problem that I'm trying to solve and I let them use their expertise to give me the best information to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was, it's something that I think about a lot and refer back to her a lot in that moment and experience a lot in terms of how it defined me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a way for you to really engage, right? And I mean, there's just so much cross learning that comes from that too, Mm -hmm. uh, across your team. Flip side, you know, that's been something that's bolstered you and defined um, and a touchstone for you as a leader. Can you talk about any times you've made, you know, missteps or you've you've made a mistake or something you learned from along the way in your career? And I think this is an important question for people who are kind of rising up in this in this industry and you know, seeking to get to the role that you're at, you know, it isn't all smooth sailing as we know. And sometimes it takes, um, you know, making some poor choices and learning from them. Um, can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, I think that, um, and you know, I have a couple of examples and that's true. I always go back to NBCU. I think that's probably because that was like where I was kind of really growing and defining my career. Um, but I think, you know, when I was there, I worked on the Olympics um, which was great because I'm also a huge Olympics fan because I'm competitive and I love when America wins and it's very exciting. Um, and I, you know, I watch every event basically. But I worked on it then um, and I loved it. And, and I, I think, suffered from, which happens when you work kind of in an industry that you're also very passionate about, a lot of the like pain points of our fans, I, I had them personally as well. So while I was in research at the time and doing a lot of research on like what fans wanted, um, I also was really personally passionate about yeah. these things that were coming up because they affected me too. So I'll give you some examples. We, you know, we did a lot of research on you know, the Olympic site in advance because we had 16 days where really all of our traffic was going to come, right? That's when we were going to make all of our money. It was really important that we did a really great job. There's not a ton of time to, like, optimize and learn within the games yep. the way that you would in, like, a TV season, right? Yep. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that constantly came up was this problem with spoilers. And you can imagine, like, with the London Olympics, right, and the time zone difference, you had a lot of events that were on during the day in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I was obsessed with streaming those events live. But the network did not want to stream those events live because they wanted prime time. And prime time is where they made all their money. Prime time is where everything was saved until so that they could edit it and make it beautiful and put it in the right order and hold people to the end, the very end of the broadcast to see that, like, you know, gymnastics, you know, win that everyone was waiting for. Yep. But what that did for digital was it made it so that people were afraid to come to the site because they didn't want to see the spoilers, right? Yeah. They didn't want to yeah. see the thing, right? And then if they did, they might not watch the broadcast. Mm-hmm. You know, if that if that gymnast lost, then all of a sudden they don't want to stay till the end of the primetime broadcast. Mm-hmm. So it was this whole discussion and I think as I have been multiple times, you know, especially when I was, you know, more junior in my career. You know, you're really passionate about your piece of the business and the thing that would make your part yeah. better. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, you don't you either don't understand or you're not aware of kind of the larger implications of those decisions, which can make you very frustrated and disgruntled um, yeah. in your day to day. Um, and sometimes ultimately, you know, or a lot of times you're going to lose, lose those battles. And I think, you know, figuring out when to say, okay, let's move on. Like, let's figure out then how to do the best that we can. But I think that's one thing where, you know, I, I failed a lot of times on trying to bring the emerging thing to life when it was maybe too early. Now you can stream everything, right? Um, yeah. Um, But, you know, it was the same thing, you know, with our TV Everywhere product discovery and what we wanted to do there. And it just didn't fit within the needs of our subscription, you know, our cable subs business, um, even though it was great for our part of the business. And so I think you really have to learn when to let go and
1: move on. Such an incredibly insightful point because it's a dance, right? And it... You're setting yourself up for frustration at every turn, right? If you're, if that's the sole focus, it has. You have to look at it as part of the overall fabric of the business, right? Mm-hmm. So, because um, ultimately, I mean, all the pieces interlock, right? It's just, it's just they all ladder up together to a co- cohesive whole, and um, it's actually a really cool segue to my next question. And I'm curious because you say you're competitive, you love the Olympics, and so um, I love asking this question. But um, I played soccer growing up, and so I love to use this as a metaphor. So you can insert whatever sport you choose, but let's just, I'm using soccer for the sake of argument, you're a player on a team, a soccer team. Are you the striker, meaning you're at the at the forefront trying to, to just get those goals and get the, you know, the the sort of the, the celebrity that comes with that? Are you at the midfield where you can really sort of like hold the line and be that connective tissue be for, between the front line and the defensive line? Or are you, are you at the defensive line trying to protect that goal at all costs from competitor attacks? The other options, of course, that I've heard are coach and goalie. So um, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. So
0: I'm not a big soccer person, although my son plays now. So I've had to like learn it a little bit. <laughs> um, but I'm a hockey person I'm from Michigan. So I there think it's go. like a winger or I think in this case, midfielder. Um, and soccer is probably closest to what I am. I... I feel like, and, and kind of you're right to, my, to my, you know, what I was talking about before, is a lot of my role is, is like balance um, between taking risks and mitigating risks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I do that a lot. Um, so while we want to try new things and, you know, we want to be aggressive, and, and some of this also depends on, You know, the company, the ownership structure, where you are in the organization and and all of that. But I think currently I'm very measured um, in my approach. So, you know, looking at all of the opportunities, the pros, looking at all of the potential drawbacks, right, competitive assessment um, and risks, and then kind of finding the balance of when to push forward um, and when to kind of pull back. And I do that a lot with my team, too, um, because they get very passionate, usually on the kind of offensive side or striker side, um, which I love. Um, But sometimes, you know, we have to kind of pull back a little bit. And so finding that middle ground, I think, is really important, especially, you know, in today's world of, you know, efficiency and cost cutting and making sure that we're making the right choices and the right bets Um, It's important to find that middle ground.
1: Um, Who are your best collaborators, either in the C-suite or among your team or both? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely, you know, probably as
0: a result of my background, definitely, you know, analytics is a big one. You know, a lot of the decisions that we make, the trade-offs that we make, the opportunity assessment... Um, you know where our business is down, where it's up. What does that mean? How should we move forward? Um, measuring the success of experiments that we're doing and how that's going to impact our you know next quarter. Analytics is really you know involved in everything that we do across the organization, and so I work with my analytics team a ton um, on that. Um, you know certainly engineering uh, as well. You know always trying to solve problems, um, whether it's something that's not working um, or something that we need to work or a new way that we need to, you know, get in front of fans to, you know, join our email program. Their creative thinking of how we can do that without speeding down the load time of the site, without annoying other fans, you know, is really important. So spend a lot of time with them and then certainly finance um, as well, especially right now. Um, and I actually love, you know, our finance team and my finance business partner, super creative in terms of, you know, how we figure out how to do things and how to maintain that balance that I was talking about. Um, so not being too aggressive, not being too conservative too. Um, and that's really
1: important. I love that we've seen the rise of the strategic CFO, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's going to bode well, I think, for CMOs moving forward and um, the strength and power of of the marketing organization. We'll be right back with more Marketing Vanguard after this quick break. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50. Luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Um, so Stephanie, I wanted to ask you, you know, you were talking before, um, you know, about, I mean, there's a lot of challenges happening right now and obviously marketing and marketers are faced with them and every day, I mean, um, it's, um, it's a constant, I won't say battle, but it's, it's constantly challenging, right? It is not an easy profession. It's not an easy role to have within an organization. Um, and it's obviously things going on, um, you know, in economic terms and in, in sort of the, the, um, you know, uh, Cultural priorities. I mean, there are so many things that I think um, marketers, as you know, the 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 hearts of their organization are are focusing on, thinking about, um, and trying to to interpret or synthesize in meaningful ways. You know, for their for their businesses, but certainly for the people who engage with their brands. And obviously, we you know we talked earlier about the fact that you have such a highly engaged um, fan base, fan you know fan community. Um, what scares you the most? What concerns you the most? Or what is the one thing that you think um, you're focused on right now as a challenge that you're seeking to solve for?
0: Yeah, I think and and probably a lot of what scares me scares most people um, right now. But I think overall, it's that balance of like, are we operating too lean? Like, what is too lean? I think, you know, everyone is cutting so much, trying to find creative ways to kind of get as much out of every resource as possible. But I think sometimes, and I find this myself, we draw such a hard line um, that that sometimes, you know, we say no to things. that It's like illogical. Like, I leave no room kind of for the yes this this does make sense this is silly this is three hundred dollars go ahead you know do this thing um because you have to kind of put yourself in, in such like a rigid um frame and mindset in order to operate really efficiently that it doesn't really leave room for the new, for the outliers, for the things that in any other, you know, environment would be in, like, and of course. Of course yeah. we should do this. Of course we should try this. But you're worried yeah. about, like, a slippery slope, too. Yeah. Um, and so you you kind of take this approach where you don't do anything, right? You yeah. don't make any exceptions. Um, and, and that doesn't make sense either. And sometimes, you know, I, I'm thinking, no, 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 we can't do this. And then I'm like, well, yes, we can. Um, And I have to like remind myself that, you know, some of these things are okay, even in a in a tough environment. And I think why that's also important is and this is something I know everyone struggles with is that, you know, really crazy focus on the short term, Mm -hmm. um, which we definitely are of what can we do now, that's going to make an impact. And the impact might be Ten dollars. Right. But we want that ten dollars. But we're yeah. not doing the things that will give us thirty dollars next yeah. year yep. because it's not going to happen until next year. Yep. So we can't afford to use the resources on that because we're so heads down focused. And so I do worry and I, you know, across every business um, that innovation is going to slow down. Yeah. Because we're so focused on the immediate impact items, the incremental wins mm-hmm. that there is no space to plan for the future. Yeah. And that, you know, is gonna I think gonna show up, you
1: know, in every business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 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 smart, so insightful. Um I've talked to CMOs before and, and I've said to them point blank, what do you need? And they've said, I need inspiration. And it was such a surprise to me to hear that that's what the answer they came back with in almost a knee-jerk way. And I'm like, my gosh, what do you mean? Just I need to be inspired. And I feel like it's also, um, I mean the magic of marketing is being able to bring that creativity and sort of that innovation, you know, to obviously to a business. And so that requires inspiration. It requires an environment where you can dream, you can think big, you can think about, um, you know, taking those risks and what you're talking about is an environment right now where there's less ability or stretch room for that. So that could be, um, that could definitely be detrimental, um, you know, you obviously have to continue on with what you're doing and what you're doing is so creative. And there's such an element of creativity at the core of everything you do. Um, Where do you find inspiration, you know, against that backdrop of challenge, but how do you keep yourself inspired? And how do you keep your team inspired?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really great question. And I think in my team, my team is so, so creative so innovative. and they have so many ideas. And I, it always makes me sad because sometimes I feel like my job is to like put dollars against you know those ideas and make sure that we can actually do them um, in a way that fits within our business model and so how to, which sometimes, you know I tell them takes more creativity is to figure out, you know how we can do this thing, but how we can do this thing in a way that has an impact preferably as soon as possible. Yep. And so, right. you know, maybe makes you, you know, have to think a little bit harder. Um, which it's is got it's hard going to, to be the and, not
1: the or. Exactly, yeah.
0: exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I get inspiration, you know, outside of my team from a lot of places. I mean, one of the things, um, this is something that one of my managers a long time ago told me in my review, is was like, you need to know more about what's going on in the industry. You know, you need to like read industry news. Um, and I still call it my industry news time, which is hilarious. But I've gotten much, much better at it because I have realized that when I am aware of everything that's going on in the industry, I do bring better ideas to the table. and I do have
1: better contacts. So let it. me ask, is that the industry, uh, is it that the advertising marketing brand industry or is that the, the, the industry that fandom lives in? So
0: it's both. Okay. Um, so, you know, I read the information um, every morning, uh, which, you know, tells me what's going on, certainly in media, but in technology overall. Right. And trends and how things are changing and moving. And that's really interesting. Uh, I also read Puck. Um, Puck is there's kind of a lot of insider information on the entertainment industry and what's going on with streaming. A lot of great stuff on the writers and actors strike that really informs actually my thinking when it comes to like forecasting our business and thinking through the 25 different angles, which I could talk to you about forever, but won't. But, you know, I- That's so a massive th- impact that I'm sure Yeah, in, in so many different out. ways, uh, positives and negatives. Obviously, we all want those strike to conclude as soon as possible. And I'm hoping, I know, you know, we can get better content for fans again soon. But the, you know, I think that really helps inform my thinking. And then, you know, I, obviously I get, you know, ad week every morning, um, read those pieces. Uh, there was a great piece about, um, um, Sejal, um from Converse, who's a friend yeah. of mine from business school. Um, so I was oh, excited that's so right. great! She's that. wonderful. I love her yeah. um, mm-hmm. and her use of thread. So I was proud of that. But so I read, you know, that certainly in you know Wall Street Journal, CMO today. But basically, just want to know, you know, what's going on, what's going on in the creator economy, what's going on in media, what's going on in marketing and advertising, what's going on in technology, because we kind of sit at the intersection of all of those pieces, and so. I get a lot of great ideas, I forward a lot of things, I say, what about this, this is interesting, what about this angle, Um, and then, you know, also just for my, you know, everyday life, you know, which is, again, like a benefit of working in fandom and loving fandom, but, like, you know, I go to Disney with my son, and I have, like, a thousand ideas, Yeah, on there right of all of the things that could have made that experience better right and you know I travel for work and in a hotel I'm like oh gosh this should you know this and this and this and this I have this like running list of all these things that could customize my experience you know so I think about those things just as I like interact as a person who's interested in like how products are developed and services and loyalty and, and all of that as well and I kind of bring that to
1: the conversation too. I see consultant in your future. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> um, so, so talk a little bit about, you know, fundamentally, what does marketing need to be in an organization, um, you know, to finally do what it needs to do and command the respect um, of, you know, other functions. And I, and I don't want to call it a function, but really cent- centrally what is the narrative that marketing needs to have and bring forward for it to yeah. be successful. Yeah, it's really it's a really
0: interesting question because I've been a part of a lot of like CMO dialogues recently, and I I've come out of them thinking that like at the end of the day, I think I'm actually really lucky. I don't know if I'm lucky in terms of the organizations that I've been in, or the industry that I'm in, or just the specific skills maybe that I bring to the table because I think marketing is a very broad term that define you know there's a lot of different types of marketers, but in a lot of those conversations, it's always seemed like kind of marketing sits over here. It's like a cost center, you know that you know people are you know constantly like, what, you know, you're spending a dollar. What are you getting back? you know and that that it's basically kind of this thing that that starts in once the product is there and is responsible for making sure that it gets sold. but in in all of my experiences and certainly at fandom, marketing is really, to me, like the, the center of the organization that kind of fuels everything that happens across all of the teams. And, you know, in terms of like the definition, I guess I would say that it's really about identifying and serving a, a fan need or a consumer need and making sure that that fan can find that product or experience and fall in love with it, right? So it doesn't start after the product is there. It starts before the product is a seed of an idea in anyone's mind, right? Because it starts with the insight. It starts with the understanding of where we can serve that need and how we can serve that need, right? So it starts with the research and with the insight and the understanding of our audience and the segment and our you know, brand positioning and how that fits with that audience. And then all the way through, all the way through the development of that product and how we go to market, But it goes kind of across the whole business. So when we're looking at mergers and acquisitions, I'm usually the first person, you know, our M&A team calls to take a look Mm -hmm. at, does it fit with our audience, with our fans? Can we bring it together as a point of connection, you know, within our, you know, platform? Um, As well as, you know, how's the business doing? What are the, you know, what are the, you know, positive drivers of growth? So to me, you know, I think marketing is the most, you know, central kind of hub. I say we're like the center of a web and that my team works with every other team within the organization as a very key business partner. Uh Um, So that's what marketing is to me um, and how certainly our team, you
1: know, plays a very key leadership role within the organization. The... um, uh, One of the questions I I have had and have a lot of fascination around is, you know, how we're basically presenting marketing as a true career path for um, young people coming up in industry and trying to, you know, map out their careers and what they want to do. You have a history major, you know, educational background, which is so fascinating because I get I get super excited about the variation of, of um, educational backgrounds that can, inf- can effectively inform marketing leadership. It, it, it's all across the board. I mean, to your point, maybe at some point people go on and get an MBA in marketing or something like that. But I think that anthropology sociology you know english literature engineering i mean we're seeing s- even mathematics like i think we're seeing so m- so much more diversity um, of background of people who are in marketing leadership roles. And I think that's a good thing. And I think it speaks to, to how, um, to your point, like how central it needs to be within organizations. What do you want to leave, you know, anybody who's listening who might be considering this? I mean, what is the one thing people need to understand about how to be effective as a marketing leader and, to, and how to truly drive growth within organizations from the marketing vantage point? What is the skill set or at least the mindset they need to have and bring into, um, you know, this career path?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if this, I, you know, I think, like, curiosity about what's next, or what could be, or what something could develop into, and bringing, you know, I always said you know, my career began in research, um, because I was just interested in why people make decisions, what is it that they're looking for? Like, how can we make products and services and experiences better for them, right? By focusing in on that core audience that you're going after. And that my job was to bring that voice to the C-suite, right? To understand and remember that everything starts with a, a consumer, a fan, and the need, the need that we're servicing. How you then monetize that, what products and services you build on top of that, right? That's easy once you actually have a fan who's getting something that they desperately want. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that that understanding, you know, thinking about- yeah, Drives right, everything. Drives yeah. everything, yeah. whether you're coming up through social media or you're coming up through CRM, Or you're coming up through, you know, brand management, traditional brand management or creative or research, you know, thinking about that. uh, Who is your audience? What do they need? How are you servicing that in a unique and differentiated way that connects, you know, across all of the things that you're doing and thinking about? So I think thinking about that and remembering to reach across the aisle to your colleagues to kind of build together Because a lot of the time you might start in one of those, you know, you might be in a social media group or you might be in a CRM group or you might be in sales marketing or, you know, whatever. the power really comes from bringing all of those points together um, to make sure that you're consistent in your messaging and what you stand for with your fans and bringing that to life in a really fun 360 way. So it's understanding the fan and the insight and then bringing that together to create really exciting, you know,
1: fun and brand connected experiences. couple last quick questions. Um, obviously, I have to ask the AI question. It was, you know, talked about so much in CAN. And obviously, it's sort of the, uh, the latest um, focal point for so many marketers. But I am curious to know how it is impacting your business How you think about it, how you think about harnessing conversational AI and how it could fit into the work you're doing, um, both from the, you know, the fan experience standpoint, fan engagement standpoint, but also internally.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's definitely already playing a role in terms of like our platform and our product and how we can create more compelling features for fans more quickly and at scale. So I'll give you one example. We have quizzes Um, The quizzes, you know, were written by people, but based on the content that already exists within our wikis, right? Now we can actually create those wikis trained off of only our own data, um, but we can scale those much more quickly to create really fun quizzes and trivia for fans Um, So that's something that we've been using and scaling. We obviously have some human checkpoints to make sure that they're accurate, and we're working out some of the kinks of things that we see. But that's one area where we can create more. It's not replacing anyone's job. It's doing something that we wouldn't have been able to do without it. Um, Similarly, on the B2B side, as an example, we do... You know, large events, activations for, for clients um, at, you know, fan events. Like, we just had some really great activations at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, as an example. Mm-hmm. And the team, who's incredible, comes up with these amazing ideas that sometimes are really hard to visualize, right? But they're explaining with words, like, what it's going to be, and it's in the deck, and maybe we have a couple, like, stock photos, but we've been able to use some of the tools to actually put like a more visual storyboard together that mm-hmm. brings it to life in a more compelling way. And I'm like Peter Naylor, who's over at Netflix now, he always says, sight, sound, in motion, sight, sound, in motion. <laughs> um, and sight, sound, in motion, it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, those are things that we would have never been resourced to do and wouldn't have gone that extra step but does help bring it to life really easily. So we've definitely found a lot of ways to, you know, I would say enhance our business. We haven't jumped in on, you know, replacing engineers with it, you know, with coding. I think there's a lot of issues with that in terms of also like security and 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 other things. Um and so, you know, I think we're really using it to enhance right now. I like to say in marketing, it's also really good at solving a, the blank paper problem, mm-hmm. of getting kind of some ideas, some brainstorming, again, things that yeah. we don't always necessarily have time to do. Desk research also yeah. don't have time to do. It's um, like a jump, jump start mechanism. In exactly. Years, so so yeah. that's how we've been using it um, currently. You know, I can't say that it's doing 30% of the work that, you know, people at Fandom used to do. But I will say that it's been really helpful in the lean environment mm-hmm. to make, you know, stronger impact. Uh,
1: two last quick questions. Um, if Vanguard literally defined means a group of people leading the way in new developments or ideas, what is an example of a development or an idea that you've had um, that you're particularly proud of, that you think has led the way for your company or for the industry.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it's funny because you probably don't know this, but we call people at Fandom Fan Guardians, which was a combination know that. <laughs> of Vanguard and like Guardians. Oh my goodness. Uh, so, like, you know, thinking about it, it as like leaders or protectors of fans. Yeah. So. You know, so and you know, I was part of coming up with that. So that's one big contribution that (laughs) I mean certainly. You know, I I think I don't know if there's like one thing that I you know changed in the industry. Although I did do a lot of work on like ad measurement and attribution earlier in my career that I was really proud of, um, and did a lot with the IAB around that to kind of change how we measure impact and attribution and make sure that it's valid and actionable, which I was really, really passionate about. Yeah. Um, and still am. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think one thing that I guess is part of like my mantra or my philosophy is the like, what's one more, what's one more thing, um, which I say a lot, so what's one more thing we can offer to a fan, one more thing that we can offer to a partner brand. Cause I think sometimes it's overwhelming to you know innovation and inventive thinking, and we've you know done a lot of that work with the team. But if we can do one more thing, make one more thing better, um, fans not only you know find out more about Ted Lasso, but they can save their favorite Tedisms, or watch our honest trailer about Ted Lasso, or read a review. And what if partners don't only get media to serve their campaigns, but they can also better understand how to create those campaigns or the programs that those campaigns are about much earlier. Um, And that's, you know, one thing that I'm really passionate about, obviously, on the insight side as well as like, how can you offer a little bit more? How can you strengthen that relationship with the fan by doing that one thing or the relationship with the partner by doing that one thing that no one else is doing? And so that's how we kind of operate and grow.
1: I love it. Um, last quick question, who is next? Um, we asked this in, in sort of a spirit of a pay it forward um, um, mentality. You know, who would be the next industry leader that you would recommend we interview for the Marketing Vanguard podcast? It can be somebody you know, somebody you admire from afar. Yeah, so...
0: I don't know if you've had Sejal, but I would recommend Sageel, shot from Converse, because she's awesome. And I think she it's is. a really interesting brand. And within Nike, it's very fascinating. So I, I think you know you'd learn a lot. And I also really love um Andy Raboon over at Kava. Um, awesome. he's yep. awesome. And I think he's now got the title Chief Experience Officer. Um, But, you know, Iqab now, but came from El Pollo Loco and has a really great kind of take on how to create a really um, positive experience for for people in, you know, the QSR space
1: um, and, you know, has a really interesting perspective. So I'd recommend him as well. Amazing. I love, love, love both of both of those people. And, um, and we will make sure to definitely have them on the podcast moving forward. So Stephanie, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Um, I've loved learning more about the company and also uh, particularly about your path and your journey and really how you're leading the company forward and also having such an impact in this industry. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Jenny. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.